Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to the Blood and Mud podcast. The late, slightly... Blood and Mud podcast, uh, the podcast that thinks that all these UFOs over America are probably Percy Montgomery's 2007 drop goal attempts finally <laughs> coming down from inner space, is what I'm thinking. Low Earth orbit. There's clearly a lot of them. Well, the, yeah, exactly. Every single one of them off target. So it's not a great surprise to me they've ended up over Montana and parts of Canada. So... <laughs> If you want to take refuge, then do it anywhere near some rugby posts. <laughs> yes, indeed. Indeed, indeed. So, yeah, so, you know, not now, aliens, is what I say. We've got enough to be getting on with. <laughs> Look, the, the first thing they're worried about is Percy Montgomery, clearly. So Yes, indeed. So, we are two weeks into the Six Nations, um, as all of you listening will know. And hello on the live stream, if you're there. I'm waving, I'm waving. Um and Josh is a few days into some toddler infection-based mither. Nothing serious, but he's not available for selection this week because he's having to, uh, you know, deal with his family or yeah. something. What's um, like? Exactly. So stepping from the bench to impact sub like a peak period paranara is uh, Will Owen. Hello, Will. Hello. Um, thank you for having me, first and foremost. And I've made the observation over the weekend that... Uh, Nolan Legarek staying on the bench for his first two uh, times in the French uh, lineup is very much the same as what happened to uh, TJ Perinara. So uh, hopefully I will one day get compared to Nolan Legarek as well as TJ Perinara. So much appreciated. Given a free choice, which one would you most likely to be compared to? Um, I mean, probably neither because they're both quite good. <laughs> no, would you like to be compared to? Like Who to are you most, to? you know? At the moment, at the moment, I'd say Perinara, but he is like, you know, a good like eight years into his international career, whereas Nolan Legarek's like minus two weeks. He is. I've still got a lot of time for him, though. Yes. So how was your weekend, Will? Yeah, I mean, uh, we will probably come on to how the weekend was. It's a bit of a big question. 
at the moment. But um, it was definitely a weekend that happened. It was. Did, did, were you in long eating action this weekend? I was. I was. Um, so I didn't play this weekend for because uh, I was busy watching Scotland do a training run. Uh, however, uh, on Sunday morning, the, the under 16s had a game, and uh, we unfortunately lost because we went in. Uh, we went in five 0 up at half time, and then had three injuries, three injuries on the stroke of half time, and had no subs, and then had to borrow three players from Burton RFC, who were clearly very proud of Burton RFC, uh, and we'll, we'll leave it at that. And the the rest of the rest of the scoreboard was um, uh, not in our favour. To be fair, though, you know you're the kind of people who keeps rugby propped up, aren't you? Although I am very surprised because I was under the impression that. All of you and all of us, you know, woke you stroke space stroke tubers trying to ruin rugby didn't go anywhere near rugby clubs or have any involvement in them. So, no, it's, no. it's a big shock that you're actually acutely involved with the youth of rugby, ruining the future it's, generations with your wokery. Do you know what I mean? It's all completely performative, just so, uh, you know, people can go, no, actually, there is one guy that we have who sometimes goes to rugby clubs. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm shouldering that burden. That's, that's me. Now. Yes, yeah. Will's all right. Will can stay. He's the one that we've got that does rugby. He's all right. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, fair deuce to you, mate. I know you give a lot of your time to it. And uh, apparently you're having a good season with your under-16s, aren't you? Yeah, no, we are. It started quite um, quite difficult. Uh, we, had, we had a few losses on the bounce. But then, um, unbelievably, we started like a winning streak out of nowhere. And no, we're doing well. Like... Um, uh, I feel like uh, I shouldn't maybe impart this knowledge uh, in case any of my my future um, coaching opponents are listening and uh, want to do analysis on me. And if any of them is determined that they're listening to me guesting on blood and mud, then fair play to them. But basically, <laughs> in the most woke way possible, uh, we've like, I've, and this is extremely like Squid brand. Uh, I've basically imparted like huge like kicking tactics on our team, uh, and like we've really really embraced that, and it is working, man. Like uh, we had a game last week where we went 20 nil down to a really good opposition, like 10 minutes in where they scored four tries against us. And then we just like, really let into that and we ended up battering them like by the end of the game and won 38, 20, I think it was. So like to, to, to have that uh, kind of under 16 level, I thought it was a gap in the market. And look, as I say, I, I'm just there to impart my woke kicking knowledge. Not only are you ruining, you know, people's views, with your wokeness and, you know, getting them, you know, like ridiculous is like not being bastards. You're now, no, 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 impo- you're, you're now creating an entire kick strategy. Yeah. On the youth as well. Yeah. I'm shoving it down their throats. Clearly. No, it's <laughs> very rude of you to, uh, to assume that I'm not convincing my team to cheat as well. You know, but, uh, it, we, we often get, you know, YouTube comments and Twitter comments and stuff saying like, Oh, I really don't like your view on cheating in rugby. And my view on cheating in rugby is that it exists. And uh, if people get away with it, then they're doing it deliberately. That is that is as far as it needs to be discussed. Yes. It's an inherent part of rugby, technically getting away with shit, as long as it doesn't cross yes. like a, a horrible line. Yeah, yeah that's, that's then huge, no. huge part of it. Yeah. Basically just, yeah. And that's that's what like Mauro Otoje is so unbelievably good at, is knowing exactly when to pull the trigger and just give a penalty away or not give a penalty away as the case may be. Uh, and like, obviously people use the example of Richie McCall, rightfully so. Like one of the best players of all time because he did cheat. Like it's not a bad thing oh, yeah, that yeah. McCall cheated. Like it was the best part of his game. So it's, is it, is it, is this, is it your first coaching gig under 16s or have you come up through the ranks with them and stuff? Cause I imagine 
must, must be quite difficult by the time they get to 60 because they'll have opinions, won't they? Mm, there's, a, there's a bit of that, but... You know, I've uh, coached under eights, but they just kind of, you know, you're just trying to get them not to, like, fall over, basically, yeah. like, throw the ball forward, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, so I started with this age group when they were under nines and tens. Um, so uh, I rocked up as a 19-year-old who knew a little bit about rugby and absolutely fuck all about children. Um, <laughs> and got there one session in and was was told, oh, yeah, so you want to start coaching? Would you mind doing the under nines and tens? And I was too awkward to say anything other than, yeah, all right, that's fine. And I've stuck with this age group for like eight years now. Um, and you know what? Like, I've grown to like them over the years. But like the first couple of years where it was like, I was essentially a childminder, were absolutely hellish. And yeah, awful. I didn't, I didn't know what they no, were doing. No, at all, yeah. Yeah, all the devil. And none of, the, none of them were even playing good rugby. Right. I've had to get up at half eight on a Sunday morning for this, bollocks. Yeah, it was, it was um, a choice of mine uh, in my early 20s and late teens. And then uh, eventually, yeah, the, it's, the penny dropped. And uh, now they're in their late teens. Now they're all taller than me. And um, that, <laughs> that is also quite harrowing. Well, fair play to you. Because have you and have you got any? Because um, when they're like fifteen, have you got anybody you looks? I mean, you'd have to say who they are, but mm. you know, you'd, have you got anybody you think? Oh, he looks like he could be quite good. So you having to do like daft stuff like making sure he can kick off both feet and things like that, develop the skills. You know, and there everyone's is, like, why is he spending so much time with him? Because yeah, I'm having to, you know. Yeah, there's so I mean, there's there's a bit of that. I mean, we have a lot of players that obviously have you know a lot of potential and so on, uh, despite their coach. Nicely done. Um, all my yeah. players have potential in their own way. Indeed, indeed. Except for him. We do. Ha- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Except it, for the lad who's sucking on his own thumb over there. Yeah. <laughs> Every team needs one, and I was that guy, so I'm going to stick up for him. Um, <laughs> but no, we do, in fact, have two players who are in the Tigers Academy, uh, which is yeah, really exciting. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to go too like. So basically, I, I got in yesterday after coaching and. Um, Robbie was at home and asked me how, how I got on. And I spoke to him for like 10 minutes about how it went. And he said, you do realize you're just doing your Toby Booth impression and just talking about effort <laughs> and like how proud you are of the lads and so on. And so I've made a really active effort not to go down that route tonight. A mate, mate of mine I was at uni with, his teenage lad is in, he plays for one of the Birmingham clubs, Sutton Coalfield. And he, so um, yeah, yeah. And he's also at the or well, he was. He was at the Worcester Warriors Academy. Oh wow, that's a shame, that's, isn't it? I don't know yeah. what's happening because I'm pretty sure that's not continued. So yeah. um, I hope he finds somewhere else. Yeah, that's a shame. It's not, so, not really something I've considered, but yeah. So that was your weekend. I didn't do. Uh, I was I was working on the Guardian, doing all three games. Very achy fingers on Saturday. Yeah, two back to back. After that, I, I had to... I have this moment where you get one syllable into that, and I'm not sure if you're going to say Guardian or Garden. No, the gold. I don't garden in, in February. Although, me winter, the winter crocuses are coming up, which is very nice. And I can see the daffodils coming up, so it's all very lovely. It's all very bucolic and well-being-based yeah. and all Daffodil that stuff. In time yeah, more wokery. Gardening <laughs> is probably woke now, I imagine. Because yeah. the National Trust have said that, you know, daffodils are brought to this country by slaves or something. The... Um, <laughs> So yes, that's what I was up to, and then I, I had to go to I had to go to I, I had to go to a twenty first birthday party on Saturday night. A friend, dear friend's son, who's a lovely lad, turned twenty one. 
and I was happy to be there because I love him and I love them and it was all very nice. But there is something particularly pretty, you know, like a, a provincial pub function room with mm. food and, you know, a, a very awkward looking DJ. And n- the room's just too big for the people that are in there. And it's, yeah. the music's just too loud to have a conversation. I've realized I'm sounding so old. I mean, are you 21 yet, Will? When's your 21st birthday? Are you- <laughs> I'm 26 now, I think. Wow. Um, yeah, but the thing is, what you've described, I'm pretty sure, is something that sounds horrible as soon as you park past your 22nd birthday. <laughs> yes. I did find myself looking at the lad whose birthday it was and his mates there. And I was like, I'm sure you'd rather be somewhere else. I mean, they were getting pissed and like on the dance floor. And I, what I love is, no matter every generation of of lads are exactly the same, aren't they? <laughs> they hang around together, they put their arms around each other and dance badly and sing out of tune together. They're all a bit too sweaty. They've spilt lager on themselves. And it's like there's no there's there's no change. I could take that back two generations and it'd be absolutely the same. And in a way, there's something lovely about that, as long as they're being nicer to other people now. You've pulled it back there. You're not going too woke on this. Yes, thank you very much. Yeah, <laughs> but it's uh my son's twenty one in May, and I think right. he's coming home for a bit of a thing in the house. But he's made it very clear on the actual day of his birthday, he's not leaving Manchester and he'll be out with all his mates, basically, because he's <laughs> in uni there. Which is absolutely right. Yeah, but yeah it was man. uh yeah, He's not being seen for twenty four hours, <laughs> and, but it's, uh, and just making it clear three months it, in advance. It was lovely, but they're long evenings. Do you know what I mean? And also, yeah. my daughter's home for the weekend. She's eighteen. She had a party gear on, so I'm stood there while all these lads are cracking onto her. So I'm having a bit of a dance there, and some lad is like, "So," and and he said, "Who's this?" And she went, "It's me dad." He absolutely shat himself. He like, <laughs> it was, he visibly shat himself. Then tried to have a conversation with me. Then copied all the dance moves I was doing. As if somehow that was going to put him well in with my daughter. Um, so she went back to uni on a, on Sunday and I had to pick up seven wet towels off the floor. That's the kind of, this is what having kids is. Wow. Well, don't bother. Don't seven. bother. Just, co- just coach and run. Yeah. She's only been on for four days. How the fucking hell did that happen? So do you not, do you not stop at like three wet towels and go, okay. Well, I would. I stop at one. I pick up my towel yeah. and hang it up. She just obviously just keeps pulling them out. The Going fucking... up a boundary here. Yeah. I mean, it's probably my own fault for having so many towels. I accept that. You know, root cause <laughs> analysis. Ask why enough times, you know, you get to the point where we've got too many towels. But uh, yeah, it was uh, but it was very nice. To see. So that was my weekend. I've had to put pimp my packs on hold because I'm having to do all this rugby writing. But obviously, fallow week this week, I'll be straight back in the room finishing off the fitted wardrobe. So, more updates on that next week. Josh will go. be back just at the right time. Just at the right time. So um, if you want to get in touch with me and talk about whether you've, you know, fed up of people leaving towels on your floor, but I doubt you will, then you can get in touch at, uh, what am I? At Blood and Mud on the Twitter. Lee at bloodandmud.com on the e-miser. I think that still works. Um, and what about you, Will? How do people get hold of you? You can, uh, you, well, any towel-based discourse, you can find me at will underscore Owen 9 on assorted, assorted social medias uh, for all of your towel-based needs. Have you got a lot of work to do with the videos at the minute? Yeah. Um, so we've got, round two, obviously, round two of the Six Nations. We're doing two of the games for that. We're hoping to have them up uh, at some point this week, both of them. And then, obviously, we've got break the break week when we'll, we'll we'll be working on some stuff for after the Six Nations, which is exciting. It means we can actually hopefully get a little bit ahead on that because we've got a lot to do between now and the World Cup. Um, 
So yeah, no rest for the when it woke. <laughs> yeah. So this podcast is on uh, Sports Social Network, as we all know. You may have heard that. It's on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get decent podcasts from, or not decent podcasts, evidently. And um, Or we're also on Patreon.com. You slash me all that long. My worst effort yet, it has to be said. Blood and Mud, where you can come along and get extra episodes. We've had a few more people signing up this week. Thank you very much. I'm about to sort out some more interviews. I'm seeing Prof Tony soon. But I was away at work in London. I had to go to London for work last week. That London. Yeah. The nation's capital. Took the dog with us. Doesn't like the car. Because I stayed at my in-laws because it was right near to where my in-laws live. Went on the Elizabeth line. That was exciting. That new crossrail thing. It was exciting to the point at which you got it and go, this looks like every other train. I don't know why people are excited about this. <laughs> but it's um I just what? everything in London looks the same to me after a while. Like it does. They they reach the point where you figure out how to get around London. And like if you're not from there, right, okay. I think there's there's two kinds of people in the world. There's people who just can hack London and there's people who hate London. Like <laughs> I just feel like there's no in between. Yeah, I, I find London... It's a nice place to visit, and it's good because mm. the in-laws are there. They're in northwest London, in, in a, well, just inside the north... If you know where the big Ikea is on the North Circular, they're not far from there. The uh, Wembley Way, effectively, but a bit okay. further in from Wembley. And um, it's been good because we could take the kids down regularly, so they're not... A lot of people in the north, and maybe the Midlands will, you might relate, relate to this, treat London like it's on Mars... Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? When actually it's it's a couple of hours away on the train, and yeah. you can do, you can literally go there and back in a day and have like a full afternoon of it. Yeah. But yeah, they treat it like it's another planet that is terrifying and can't possibly be be visited. Yeah. And my wife grew up on a council estate in northwest London, so the kids do nothing but wind her up about how many people she may or may not have shaved growing up, basically. Oh Which she really takes quite well, as you can probably imagine. So, yeah, yeah. On what I just said, by the way, I'm extremely envious and happy for the people who can hack London because it's just all a bit much to me. Like, I've done the, those things, as you say, like going there and back in a day and like stepping on like that train and stepping off it. It's like, oh my God, the world's so quiet outside of London. Like, when you're yes. back in Nottingham, like suddenly it's like, oh, right, yeah, there's nothing going on here. Like, I'm fine. I'm from the north, obviously. You mm. may have noticed. I may have mentioned it. And uh, the, uh, the first time I went to London with Natalie, my now wife, the, the present Mrs. Calvert, I um, we were walking from the tube station to where she lives on the on the on the estate in in London, and there was some fellow walking towards us, and I and I did. He looked at me, and I went and I went, "All right," because I'm northern. And she went, "What are you doing?" He just walked, he looked at me very quizzically, but carried on walking. She said, "What are you doing?" I said, "What do you mean?" She said, "You didn't know that." She said, "You didn't know that round here that would maybe seen as a challenge." <laughs> I was like, is it really? I'll be all right. Yeah. Why? Yeah, I'm all right. Why? I'm all right, mate. Why? You think I'm not all right? Where do you want to go, dear? They want to be one of them. Because I listen to it. All right. Yes. I, I mean, I, I, I'm very much on your side in this in this debate. <laughs> yeah. London. I think it's a thing with Londoners, isn't it? They hate Northerners who talk to them on the tube. You know. All right, mate. Where do you live then? Oh, I am just they down for the day, you really, yeah. That yeah. You're not one of them. They don't even need to hear your accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely unbelievable. It's, it must be terrible when it's Challenge Cup final day at Wembley when it's just overrun with Northerners come to watch the rugby league. 
Why do they host that at Wembley? I don't know, you know, because it used it used to be done at Oddsall years ago in Bradford. It's got there's a there's a record oh. attendance, hundred and twenty thousand people went to the final at Oddsall in Bradford. Because Oddsall's just like a dip, like in between, it's like a, a crater in the ground, basically. So people right. just stood up on the hills. I don't know when it went to Wembley, but it's because it, it is weird. It is a rugby league day out as well. So obviously the main people there are the, are the people in the, the fans of the teams in the final. But you see all kinds of kits down there. Everyone goes for like a big rugby league day out to the nation's capital. And then immediately. This is a novelty. And, yeah, and then immediately gets back on the coach one minute after kickoff and they're back in the club, you know, having, having a pint of mild by eight o'clock that night sort of thing. But it's something, it's something it's out wonderful. It's for everyone. Like, just host it at Old Trafford. Well, they have the, they have the Super League Grand Final at Old Trafford. So that, that, that's, right. that's played there. But it is, yeah. It's a, they're struggling to... Um, oh, it's at, the, it's at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium now, David Lowry. Oh, wow. I did not know that, which is... Uh, yeah, they were struggling to they were struggling to fill the big new Wembley. I'll be honest, in this day and age, it never looks great. But um, yeah, anyway, what the fuck was I talking about then? Rugby Super League starts uh, this weekend. In case you're wondering, the new the newly uh, monikered Lee Leopards are playing on Friday night. So um, I think it's live on Sky. So well, you can you can see the absolute embarrassment of our branding in glorious HD. Should you wish to on a on Friday night? What were they before the Leopards? Well, it was even worse than that. It was Lee Centurions, which made no sense whatsoever because we're not even a Roman town. And it was a shit badge and made no sense whatsoever. And actually, even worse than that, it was when they were when they rebranded loads of teams and Lee were looking for one, somebody said it should be Centurions with an with an ANS on the end, because it was a hundred years since the since the club was created. And somebody misunderstood that and created it as Centurions and it became a Roman thing. <laughs> It was very well thought out, and now we've become Lee Leopards. So, which I'm not again. Of that, yeah. Uh, I wasn't really. I wasn't in terms of the process because they didn't consult anybody, and they just shatter. And they've they've got rid of. Well, they initially got rid of cherry and white colours, which is what Lee have played in for years. They say because Wigan playing cherry and white, and Wigan are a far bigger brand. So therefore, why would you try and compete with them? It's like, I don't give a fuck if they're bigger brand. They fucking hate the bastards. The they're not having, our, they're not having our fucking colours, the bastards. So um, <laughs> anyway, after after a fan session, they have changed it back to cherry and white, but they've still got like the, the leopards, like real leopards face, which is actually a Jaguar, which is even more hilarious on the front. And they've made his eyes red and put like, they've got cherry shorts out because he went to black and grey originally. It's all terrible. And it's Isn't all because the Aldo's arch enemy, maybe. Yeah, that it maybe is it. Yeah, and they have got a new leopard mascot as well. Who, who I've not seen the results of the poll they ran to name him. So, or it's, it's going to be you know leopardy leopard face, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. We'll see. How do we get onto that? Can't remember. <laughs> London. Yeah, podcast. Yeah, indeed. The other great thing about Northers going to London, which is the the, the best thing that Londoners that that Northers look forward to when they go to London. Is the absolute awe and spectacle of looking in estate agent windows. They all they all tip off the coaches after having like six pints of John Smith's on six cans of John Smith's and go to look through estate agent windows in northwest London. Marvelling. Bloody yeah. hellfire. Eight hundred thousand pounds for a bloody terrace house, Luke. This is like this is like where your Paul lives, Luke. Eight hundred thousand pounds. Like that, yeah. Then they Never go once again, then they go home. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'll so, have to try the Super League Grand Final one day. and just as a, I've as been to the Super League Grand Final. Experience. I went to watch Warrington lose yet another one. They haven't won the championship since 1955, as people regularly sing to them still. <laughs> <laughs> because they haven't. It's a long quest of awfulness. Right. Onward. Patreon.com slash blood and blood. You want to come get some extra shit? Um, should we do a play spotted? And begin oh, as we always begin. It's always my favourite part of this podcast. Okie doke. And we're 22 minutes in, so even though Josh isn't here, we've still managed to elongate That's the benchmark, out, 22 minutes, I'd say. <laughs> Evan Quick gets in touch. Long-time patron. Hello, Evan. You're a good man. He says, "There's a, I mean, there's a lot in this, so brace yourself. Okay. You being a musical man will like this. Okay. There's a local tribute act festival that happens for one weekend every year around the end of July. It's called Glastonbury. Mm, okay. Original name, because it's obviously it's a glass it's in Barry. So Glastonbury. Okay. That make that now makes sense. I thought it was yes. just like I thought for some reason they were associating the name Barry with people who would likely go into tribute acts. Yeah, so Glastonbury. And for the past couple of years, they've put on a family-friendly version on the Friday before the main weekend called Glastonbury Juniors. So that's an extension on a joke already, okay? Yes, they've like extended on the pun because they're going hard at it. <laughs> Basically, says Evan, this is pop acts and loads of E-number loaded sweets for the kids while, you know, watching the music. Waiting in the absolutely fuck-off massive queue for the hot dogs, Evan says. I saw a fairly tall and handsome man walk past. Not placing in the first time, he then walked by our seating area with his family, and it became clear when I looked closer that it was none other than former Ulster Ospreys Island and Lions winger come centre, Tommy Bow. No! Yeah. Tommy Bow at Glastonbury. Ten hot dogs. Um, <laughs> Honestly, as soon as you said Ulster and Ireland, no, and Osprey, <laughs> I thought, right, okay, what's the ten siblings joke going to be? I have to get, and look, the wiring of your brain is clearly much quicker than mine. <laughs> Not sure why he was there. Maybe he's a fan of Bruno Mars and Beyonce as they were the main tribute act headliners of the day. So this, why would Tommy Bow be at Glastonbury? He did play for Ospreys, so he probably could have still have friends down. I know that I know Barry isn't in Swansea for the Welsh people start having a go at me, uh, but um, he may still have friends down that sort of part of the world, I guess. Yeah, I believe he actually for a period when he was at the Ospreys lived in Cardiff, so he might have yeah people he knows, and and I, I know that there's still more of a geographical um, thing than that, but. I, I, the thing is, because events like that and Tommy Bow crossing over now doesn't surprise me because of how seamlessly he's gone from world-class finisher to guy who presents breakfast, breakfast telly in nice pink T-shirts. Um, yes, and slightly gormless man on telly is what yeah. he is now, isn't he? And he's so lovely that you look at him doing that and forget, like, hold on, he used to be, like, insanely good in the air, and that was what yeah. we talk about him for. Uh, and now here he is, and I love Tommy Bow. But yeah, Glastonbury was not. Look, that wasn't the no, player. No correction. Glastonbury Juniors. Juniors. I think you'll find he was Glastonbury also, was a bit too, you know, too too much high energy for for his blood. I think. Yeah, I was gonna say. I I'm guessing like this whole thing. I've just presumed he's there on his own, like without any like children present or anything. That he's just decided that that's the one for him. 
Now he's walked by with his family, apparently. They said, okay. yeah, it says here in the detail. Okay. But think about this. Think about the quality of a Beyonce tribute act playing a junior kids festival in Barry. Think about how little like Beyonce that person is going to be. That's that's it. Like people have spent like four hundred quid on Beyonce tickets that have gone the last week. Like they've been like insanely highly priced. Like, I've got a friend who spent two hundred pounds on like a seated ticket that's not that good, right? Uh, and the thing is, right, you can. It's extremely expensive, but you can at least mitigate it by going. Oh well, they're going to see Beyonce. Like the main selling point of seeing Beyonce is that the person you're seeing is literally Beyonce. <laughs> yes. You get to look upon Beyonce. Therefore. Yes. And she definitely is Beyonce. Like that is verified before you see her come on stage. Right. However, I, again, like I shouldn't judge before I see, you know, Barry's best Beyonce, but I don't think she quite is from what I can guess. No, it's, uh, I can imagine. And Bruno Mars, yeah. Assuming Bruno Mars is just, well, he might be too tall. Who knows what's going on? Is he still a thing, Bruno Mars? I've not seen him around for a while. I think he is, but I don't know if anyone particularly cares. <laughs> You're asking the wrong guy about Bruno Mars. Indeed. Have you got any gigs this week? Uh, I, I, I'm not this week. I did go to one last night, and it was terrible. So <laughs> I've started watching Happy Valley for the first time because I'm sick of people banging on about it. So I thought I, I might as well go and watch it. And the lead, the the the, op- the opening song is a Jake Bug one. Oh yeah, I found him. Ve- ve- I found him very irritating within about half a sentence. So yeah. I've started skipping that. It's the thing. Like it's extremely divisive where I should stand on Jake Bug because like. He's extremely like uh, 2014 was like his thing, and then he died off like so so quickly after that, and became like a complete like pure novelty. But there's a part of me that's like, oh right, but he's he's like the most famous artist from my city. Like, should I? I feel like I have like a duty to like him. Well, yeah, you know, Edwin Starr spent a lot of his life in Nottingham, though, didn't he? Before yeah. he died, or or Mansfield, or somewhere somewhere yeah, Nottingham somewhere adjacent. He lived yeah, in Long no, Eaton, Edward no, Starr. Beeston. He lived in Beeston. Yeah, where I live. Brilliant. Is, so he he died uh, about five minutes up the road from my house. Did you and uh, him ever make eye-to-eye contact? No, unfortunately oh. not. Um, no. So the the um, the guy from Sleaford Mods uh, used to live two streets away now from Now, which me, one? The shouty is, bloke or the yes, stand-around pogoing? Yeah, <laughs> as as much as I do, and I, I've bumped into the um the the guy who plays the kind of red stripe. Uh, I've bumped into him in town before, um, but no, it was the. It was, I it was can't the help but think he must be really bored. He's now started dancing, so I feel yeah, like. Yeah, but he still just he presses a button and then just like, like goes like that, like one hand up, one hand like this, doesn't he? Yeah, it's not that snare out. Please, the fellas getting like a bit sweaty and like interpreting his lyrics and all that. That fella just—I refuse to believe you're not bored. Yeah, I don't know though because it—it must be such a novelty doing that as a job that there must be a part of you that goes, you know what, this is kind of fun. Yeah. Anyway, where were we up to then? Oh yeah, thank you very much, Evan yeah, Quick, for your player spotted of Tommy Bo at an inexplicable situation at a junior festival with pretend Beyonce. 
Um, and thank anyone else wants to send. I should say Evan submitted that via the patron messaging service because he's a lovely patron. So thank you very much. If you want to send one of those in, you can do that if you're a patron on the messaging services, or you can go on the DMs. I'm at Blood and Mud on the Twitter or Lee at bloodandmud.com should you wish to send it that way. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A -a one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. I suppose we better do a bit of news that way at this point. Might as well. Not that it's... Are we over, not, I don't feel like we're overrun with news this week, but that's probably a good thing. In... First bit of news that surprises absolutely no one is that Uni Antonio has been been cited. Yes. The fact that Uni Antonio can do anything uh, that relates to contact sport and it be described as a low degree of danger is baffling to me. <laughs> yeah, so he's been cited after... We'll probably come to this later on. We might as well do it now. But basically, he, was, he stood very, very upright and twatted somebody. And it was, who was he fucking tackled? Now I can't remember. Um, uh, I can't remember. Kellen Doris, maybe? Rob Herring. Rob Herring. And um, he, it was purely an accident of physics that there wasn't even more damage done. This is the, I mean, we've done this before, but it never ceases to amaze me that they're kind of going, you, you can't referee this like he had any control over what was actually going to happen. He was stood bolt upright and basically threw his shoulder around sort of throat height, really. Yeah, yeah. The thing that, and I'm aware we're straying into weekend territory here, but like the thing that baffled me most about that wasn't even the the eventual decision of it being the yellow card, but how he arrived there. Like if he said, oh, well, it's, you know, we start at a red card and it's slightly mitigated by some sort of bend down of some description, 
you kind of give him a little bit of slack and go, okay, well, at least he's tried to kind of talk about how dangerous that is. However, the the eventuality of him saying like, okay, well, we're going to start at yellow card. I was like, whoa, what does he need to go do to get sent off? Yes, very bizarre. But obviously, the sighting commissioner doesn't agree and says we yes. might have to have a look at that. Yeah, unsurprising. Anna S says, "You know what's worse than paying nearly two hundred quid for a Beyonce ticket is paying it and realizing you have to go to a friend's wedding instead that weekend." Well, well. I'm sure you could go to Glastonbury instead, and it would be just as good. <laughs> the uh, two hundred quid, man. When's the point going to come that they start treating these popular shows like this, like they do with opera and having it heavily subsidised? Because why does that fucking get subsidised so people can go and people have to pay 250 quid to see the Rolling Stones? Yeah, That's what I want to know. It's ridiculous. The most I've ever paid for a gig was £140 to see Paul McCartney. And he is Paul McCartney. So I'm letting myself off with that one. I have paid... I can't remember how much, but it's something like 200 quid to see Springsteen in the summer. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Which, Only because uh, I'm going to that fucking date, yeah. stupid British summertime in Hyde Park. I'm I've, going to I've, both of those dates, so, so I, I might see you there. So I've I have paid to be on the fucking the Golden Circle, whatever down the oh, front. Oh wow! Where I get no, access, I've not done that, so I won't see I get, you. There. So there's like a you get access to like a posh collection of fucking bars behind you. It's no good to really don't drink anyway, so I'll just be stood there sipping yeah. water all day. But uh, also, I've got a ticket to see Billy Joel the night after. Oh, nice. Nice. Trying to get, I haven't got that sort of fucking posh one. I'll just fucking sit on a, I'll sit at the back and listen to him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I've paid half the amount of money you have to see Springsteen from slightly further away uh, at the same gig. So my uncle Keith's already seen three Springsteen gigs on this tour because he flew and did Tampa, Atlanta, and Orlando okay. last week. And then he's so, seen 10 shows in Europe, at the wow. end of which I think he'll have seen him 82 times. That's insane. So I've, I've never seen, like, I'm young enough that Springsteen's never toured, like, while I've been going to gigs and that. So I'm doing five this year. Oh, fabulous. Um, which, doing Murray, we're doing Murrayfield. I'm not doing Murrayfield. So uh, me and my friend are doing uh, two of the Dublin ones, uh, right. which worked out really in our favour because we both got through on the ticket site and one of them was to a, a date that they hadn't announced yet. Um, and so we managed to book, like, the flights in the hotel really, really cheaply because they hadn't announced it before they'd ramped it up. Um, and we both kind of ended up buying the tickets and then realised, oh, we've got both. What should we do? Well, we'll just go to them both. So yeah, those two, then the two BST ones. And then we got literally the Villa. worst, yes, the worst tickets to the filler one. Because it's like, well, we're already, we're already seeing him enough times that we can literally get whatever the cheapest thing that is available there. Uh, so I've yeah. Al- I've already been looking and the set list is very strong. Okay, I've been avoiding them. So there's, there's some there's some shit in there. There always is with Bruce, really. Yeah. But that's because Bruce understands his, his audience. He knows you need to go for a piss in these stadium gigs. Yeah. So you'll do some really long seven minute thing that like nobody really wants to do. You go for a waz and you usually just come back and then he, he kicks back in with like back streets or badlands because he knows he knows how it works. Do you know what absolutely. I mean? Absolutely, absolutely. He can keep keep you engaged for that amount of time. And also, like, what's the opposite of throwing enough shit to the wall that will stick? Like, if you play for 24 hours, then you're bound <laughs> yes. to play something that's terrible. 29 songs is set list, though. And some of them are, like, quite long. Yeah. <laughs> I and mean, 73 now, I think. People. It's fucking yeah. ludicrous. Fair play to the guy. Well, you, you, you're right to see him enough times as he can, because let's be honest, he ain't going to live forever. No, no. Like, this, might be, this probably will be my only opportunity, so I might as well make the most of it. Meanwhile, back at the news... 
Mm. Have you got any news, Will, you'd like to talk no, about? No, no, no. Crack on. So, well, I've got a couple of bits. So, Ealing can't be promoted again. It's been officially announced that they will, for some reason, they haven't grown a stadium. Well, not for some reason, you know, quite clearly they haven't grown a new stadium in the past eight months since they were last told to fuck off. So, basically, they, they, they don't get to promote again. However, Doncaster Knights have been confirmed that they are eligible to be promoted, but they're in sixth or fifth. <laughs> they can't get promoted from sixth. Uh, that's that's the bit that they're missing out on. They're saying like, oh yeah, we can get promoted to the Premiership, but not the way you're playing, lads. But I'll tell you what, though, like listening to this podcast, you know, you start off, you introduce yourselves, then you do the player spotted, then you do the news, then you do the segment where you announce that Ealing trial finders still aren't going up to the Premiership, and God loves a trier. Yeah, it's and it's good, you know, it's comforting to know what's going to happen next in some ways, isn't it? There's something <laughs> solid in. You know, going. That's why we go to McDonald's. We know it's shit what we're going to get, but we know what it is wherever we are. Ealing Trailfinders know they're going to get rejected, but they still go in. There's some real rugby value stuff to be read into Eel Trail Trailing Finders. You know, their persistence of uh, it's Sisyphus like. Of... Yes. They will not stop pushing that rock up the hill, even though they never get to the top. And somebody tells them their rock is not compliant with the hill, and they have to keep removing it. And down to the bottom again. And they look oh, at Doncaster's sizable, much more sizable rock, which is <laughs> on, on completely the wrong hill. Quite. <laughs> Their quality, smooth, highly engineered rock is, <laughs> is, is, is like, yeah, as you said, on the wrong part of the hill or whatever. So that's what's happening there. The other thing is the Barbarians versus the World 15 is happening soon, which I can't help feeling is some kind of like, you know, creeping all-star game is it happening though like i've received the emails from the barbarians telling me what the squads are and stuff but i just still fail to believe it for some reason it just doesn't feel like the sort of thing it feels like the sort of thing that they start advertising and then just never put on sale yeah because is there a date yet i have no idea but wait hang on a second is this the start of the all-star weekend is this like you're trying to like trick people into thinking there's a like a normal game of rugby going on when actually you're selling tickets for the All Star Weekend. Is that a thing? It could be that, couldn't it? Can't help yeah. thinking. That's where Josh is. He's off organising and doing admin for that. <laughs> yeah, cheeky sod. Alan Wynne Jones is playing for the Barbarians, apparently. It, I mean, if this happens, it's Sunday the twenty eighth May, apparently. Oh, that's it's happening quite soon. So it probably is happening then. You I don't think know. so? I, I was put off when the email said Joe Marler was in the squad and I immediately stopped reading there. Well, Jack Noel and Johnny May are playing for the Barbarians, okay. apparently. So that's that's okay. locked in because they've definitely got nothing else to do because they've been fully dropped by England, haven't they? So Yeah. I Who else is playing? Marika Corabetti and Nick Phipps are playing okay. for Steve Hansen's World 15, I'll have you know. Fascinating. I seem to remember last time they did... Um, the World 15 game, they did. They played some tests in like in Japan or something, uh, and they had like loads of like uncapped South Africans playing for them. Which it's to be notable, fair, if you have the right people is is a correct selection. It's notable that um, those are the only two names they've told you about, which it's is making Cory Betty and Nick Phipps. Seeing just how overpowered Cory Betty is. Anybody else in the list that we talk about? No, I don't think so. If you give Corin Betty one man to pretend to pass to, 
he will score. And they're just testing that theory out. South Africa, sorry, Barbarians, Alan Wynne Jones, Andre Esterhazen, Aaron Cruden. I mean, so I, I, I quite like the sounds of it, the sound of this. Uh, Semi Radrandra. Oh no, Semi Radrandra is playing for the World 15. How many of these are going to get swapped teams the week before when they can't find anyone else? Yeah, or, or depend on who turns up on the day and how long over everyone is. Yeah. It's going to be a definite sort like, of like, yeah. Sorry, all we can find is Elliot Stook, and it makes more sense if we ask him to play for the Barbars. <laughs> we haven't got. Yeah. Sorry, Tal, you're in the World 15. We haven't right? got any centres because Semi was fucking leathered last night and nobody's seen him <laughs> since. Yeah. You can put your club socks back in your bag. You'll have to have Max Evans. Um, <laughs> Okay, so that's all the news I've got, I think. You've got nothing else, have you, Will? No, no. Before we get to the weekend, I must talk about a little bit about our partnership and our friends and our league with Fanzo. We've got a pint predictor league going on for the Six Nations with Guinness and Fanzo, where we have got nearly 300 people in our league, in our prediction league on the Fanzo. So thanks to everybody who's joined. I hope you're enjoying it. Um, I mean, we're two rounds in. I'll be, I'll be frank with you. We'll have had a fucking horror show. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it was going really well. I picked Wales to win this weekend. <laughs> Let that sink in. Um, I've got one question about that. And uh, look, you can answer this uh, as briefly or as in much detail as you want. And that question is, why? <laughs> well, I'll be honest. It was vibes-led. And <laughs> just, that won't really answer your question because there was no good vibes about Wales at all. It was mainly one of those ridiculous vibes around, well, Gatland always seems to win, you know, against Scotland and the hoodoo and he's changed the team and it's Scotland will probably, you know, Scotland always have a rick in them anyway. So it was all based on sort of just, just not general. It was a terrible prediction and absolutely terrible. Non-rugby based factors. Yes. Basically it was all ridiculous sort of like mental and vibe based factors based on nothing that was being presented in front of me whatsoever, you know, a bit like Wales's entire game plan, for example. Um, so yeah, so that's how bad it's been going for me. But yeah, we've got. I'm so as a result of that, I'm in 177th out of nearly 300 people. So mid-table mediocrity beckons for me. Yeah, look, if your ground spec's good, then that's good enough. I'd like to give a big shout out to Andy Finn, who is top of the shop. Uh, with 98 points after getting all the calls right so far, I included a perfect score because he picked not only the winner but the correct winning margin of Scotland versus England last week. And uh, an honourable mention to a certain Joshua Gardner, who is in fifth currently. Wow. And I don't know why, but he's used his full Sunday name in this league for some reason. He's, he is literally down as Joshua Gardner, which looked odd at first reading, but he's had his, his full posh name out there. He's higher in that league than Doncaster are in the championship. <laughs> yeah, so Andy Finn is top on 98. Hard behind is, is uh, Scotland fan David Hay. Keith Taylor in third. Ian Mundy in fourth. Joshua Gardner in fifth. Moving up. Cat McArdle, Ali McFarlane. Lots of Scottish fans in the top ten, mm. I, it must be said. Uh, all there. Optimist. It'll not be funny, but Chris... Uh, Chris... I can't see his full name. I think it might be Chris Mason in eighth, has already done his uh, predictions for round three in two weeks' time. He is not fucking about. He does no. not need to know the doesn't need to know the squads, doesn't need to know form, doesn't need to do anything. Clearly it's paying off his methods. Well, it's definitely better than entirely vibe-based methods like me. 
So, yeah, if you want to get involved um, and bring your scores along and see how you get on, it's in the Fanzo app, F-A-N-Z-O, Fanzo app. You can find it on the App Store. And if you go to the Guinness Pint Predictor and click on Join a League and use the code Blood and Mud, or one word, Blood and Mud, and you can join our league. You can win pints for picking correct scores. You can win pints for yourself, pints to give away. And it, yeah, it's just a bit of a fucking laugh, isn't it, really? And you can come and just point and laugh at me, mostly, That's which is what I am here for if nothing else. So thank you very much, everybody that's enjoyed that so far and joined in with us. I think it's time to talk about the weekend, don't you? I believe so, if we must. If we must. Where do we want to start, Will? Um, I know where I don't want to start. Oh, do I want to get it out of the way? I'm happy to get it out of the way if you want to do it now. Should we get uh, it out Wales, the way? Scotland, Scotland versus Wales, I, I take it you're referring to. Yeah. yeah. No, I was actually referring to Long Eaton against... Uh, <laughs> no, yeah. Wales, Scotland, we, we'll get it out of the way. You know, you'll see all the stages of grief here, but um, not good, was it? It depends who you're asking, but it was... <laughs> it was... Um, it, it was an absolute fucking tonking. It was, it was. And that Ferguson try at the end was just felt like properly like rubbing it in. And it just felt like, oh no, they've not just like unpicked us. They battered us, which like, and don't get me wrong, like Scotland are very much kind of my second team. And uh, uh, there've been times in past where I've not minded losing to Scotland. It's been like, oh, you know what? I'm kind of happy for them. Glad to see them get a win, you know? But that just, the whole thing from start to finish was painful. What's going on with... I mean, leaving Wales aside a minute, because it's easy just to focus on how terrible Wales were. If Josh was here, he'd do that, obviously. But uh, the um, what's going on with Scotland, do we think? It's been hard to tell that for a couple of years now, hasn't it? Because mm. you, you, you always go through phases of going like, oh, yeah, Scotland are good now. And then the whole squad fall out. Finn has a punch-up with Gregor, uh, you know, on the final whistle. Um, you know, somebody has more than two drinks and disobeys rugby values. Like, there's always there's always something goes on that kind of ruins it. And um, I think everybody assumed that that was going to happen last week, uh, that they'd beat England and then everyone was going to fall out. And then, uh, you know, Wales would have, would, would make it 13-0 under Gatland over Scotland. And yet, uh, and yet, no, Scot- Scotland just, don't get me wrong, to beat this Welsh team, all they had to do was not fuck it up. And, uh they very much did that and some more. Um, yeah. I think, um, like so many things, Robbie, it seems to be that they've... they've, they've. I think there was always... And I, and I'm trying to put this in a way... Well, I'd say it anyway. There's been a weakness with Scotland for a while. There's there's always been something in there that was a little bit weak, uh, like in like a not well-infused joint or something that was always going to go at some point. And that seems, I don't even know what they've done. That just seems to have fundamentally changed this year. We're actually, and I think it's in the forwards, really. I, I don't know if it's because, you know, everyone knows how much I love the Mish, but as, as bringing like Crosby in made a bit of a difference, giving Richie his head at captain, you know, the second rows. Well, quietly whisper it, Richie Gray coming back in seems to have brought a bit more, doesn't it? And him, and God, is this the first time he's been fit for about eight years, basically? Yeah. It feels like, or consistently fit. Uh, which is and you're bringing Johnny Gray off the bench is a hell of a thing, isn't it? And the way they kind of um, the main thing is the way that they one, I think Greg has decided he's not going to die wondering with the music in him, is he? He's going to go, I like to play rugby incredibly fast, and that's what we're going to be doing. 
And if it fucks up, fine. At least I can leave this job knowing I gave it my best, my best go. And I think linked to that is the way that for both games, they've clearly upped to the speed and intensity from minute 41 onwards. Second half kicks off. They've got everyone go up about 15%. And a combination of being well-organized, Russell, Russell pulling more strings than a well-connected parent trying to get a fucking internship for their kid. Um, and as Vader's Jessica just pointed out, having an absolute unit at 12 really helps too. Yeah, I think there's a whole there's a whole better balance thing, isn't there? Tui Pilotu, massive, and the skill set he's got. Hugh Jones back on the form that made everyone so excited a few years ago. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just it just all seems to be coming together. Some John McDonald points out in the comments about having Brad Moore uh, Moore on attack might help as well as a coach. Yeah, yeah, I think um, Tui Pilotu is definitely a big part of it. Like uh, they're bringing him into the team, but well, Hugh Pilotu, as as it's called. Like at first, I thought that I fucking obviously... hate that. By the way, do you? Do you? I kind <laughs> yeah. of love it. I kind of love yeah. it. Um... I can see why people do. I just it, it makes me kind of makes the back of my neck go hot. <laughs> um, but yeah, like at first when people were touting that, I was thinking like it was really good at club level. But how are you going to drop Chris Harris? And actually, it's really paid off. Like having Chris Harris as a guy that you can trust on the bench, like. If it all goes tits up, you know Chris Harris will be all right. Like, you know he's not going to... And credit to Townsend, to be fair, because mm. Chris Harris was probably most people's first name on the sheet, or at least the second one after Jamie Ritchie, wasn't he? He was yeah. like, no no one's ever going to drop Chris Harris. <laughs> and then the first thing we go, mm. but yeah, fair play to him. He knew what he was doing. Yeah. And like, uh, uh, as uh, as Harley Worthy says in the comments, a unit that can kick and pass is really handy. Like, uh, I think that... Um, as as Johnny said on this podcast actually last week that like how has nobody watched done a little bit of analysis on Tupelotu and gone oh wait no like he's got an entire skill set you know yeah. he's not just um, you know a big bash and crash kind of centre like actually he's extremely smart uh, and I think that Finn Russell has he's always had like Sam Johnson as like a safety blanket alongside him who just you know sweeps up whatever uh, Finn spews up on the pitch whereas actually now he's got a baller playing outside him. And that's nothing against Sam Johnson because he's a really good player. But, like, um, you know, Tupelotu kind of has that uh, that ability to step in as a first receiver and let Finn, you know, focus on, you know, his, his kicking game after, you know, maybe taking it just outside him or throwing these long loopy passes when the defence gets a little bit more panicky about Finn in space. Um, and, yeah, Tupelotu's been so, so good for them. And, like, Crosby, as you just mentioned, is as good a replacement as they can get for Mish. Um, mm. And, like, a seriously good option, like, really good in the breakdown. Um, yeah, just a really, really good option for them to have. And they've, they've essentially got three of that player in Mish, Richie, and uh, Crosby. Like three yes. players who are really solid in anything that requires hammering into somebody. And I think, um, I, I, I really think Matt Fagerson is probably going to end up in the massively underrated Hall of Fame as we used to do on this podcast uh, many, many moons ago. Because so he is yeah. quietly just excellent, isn't he? Yeah. Like you it's not only that you don't really see him make many mistakes, like, he doesn't really go backwards, he's a really, really good carrier like, um, he just first first of all, like, just fits into their system so, so well um, and like, you know, if you want to chuck him up at a line out, you can do uh, and if you want to stick him on, you know t- to stand near the wing and play as like an edge forward then he, he can do that as well, like I feel like no matter who you pick in the back row alongside him he will do his job just as well 
They're doing this without Darcy Graham as well, remember? And a yeah. shout out to Kyle, Carl Stain, I guess. But um, the somebody's uh, David Lowry's made a point in the comments around Russell getting good service from nine. And yeah, Ben White's new, isn't he? There's some, mm. you know, two Pilotti, the, the two Pilotti, oh, okay, I'll say it, the Hewitt Pilotti thing is new for this year, isn't it? The uh, Ben White's new. Russell's, I mean, that mo- there was that moment, wasn't there? I think it came from about 65, 60 minutes onwards with Russell that it was just like, oh, he's really fucking enjoying himself now. <laughs> he was just like languidly wandering about the place, sort of like, not even at like a jog, like a sort of like somewhere between a walk, no, somewhere between a strut and a jog is what he was doing. Yes. He was combining those two things. Just, just, Wandering out of the rock, give me the ball, catch it. We wanted just all the time in the world, do whatever the fuck he wanted. There is something wonderful about watching him when he's like that, and that, and I don't mean that because he's been doing everything right, really. Mm. Uh, and it's nice to see him like that, but it, it, it's easy to focus on that type of his play. But nobody else does it just quite like him, do they? Yeah, there's that sort of like to borrow a comparison for football, the kind of Zenadine Zidane sort of, yeah, I'm not really going to do this at any pace, but it's just going to be great for you to watch it somehow, you know. Yeah, I recently had a chat on the pod with Luke Upton, um, friend of both both of our Yes, players. yes, um, man, and Luke, he, yeah. he put it really, really nicely. And I, I've kind of like viewed Finn almost differently since he said it. But like Finn Russell, above any other player in the world, just views this as a game rather than a job. Like he's just playing a game <laughs> yes. with all of his friends on a park. That's literally what he's doing. He's kicking a ball around. And so what? Yeah, he's doing it international level. But like he doesn't seem to care about it. Well, he does care, but like, He's so zen, as you say, like about everything he does. Um, and like, don't get me wrong, he's extremely like clued in in everything he does. And that's why like he's one of, if not the like one of the best kicking tens in the world. And that opens him up to, you know, so many other things that he does so brilliantly. But like, it's the fact that he can kick a ball out in the full and start giggling about it. <laughs> yeah, because he did put a kickoff out, didn't he, as well on Saturday at one point, didn't he? Yeah. Was that the weave? Yeah. And it's... um. Yes, and he is just like, oh, that was fucking hilarious. Yeah, it is that. It's still like he's playing on a Saturday afternoon at a much lower level, you know. Um, there is something good about it. But it's... um. So I think he's right to spend a bit of time giving a lot of credit to Scotland, who go to Paris next, don't they? Yeah, and that'll be, that'll be a good game, you know. I mean... I think it will be. There's something not quite right with France yet, isn't, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. I think... I mean, we'll obviously get onto it, but I think France have kind of needed a setback. Because like they, people kind of are touting them, probably correctly as like red hot favourites for a home World Cup, um, and oh, it just doesn't feel right that a team's going to go in like on an unbeaten streak and then just go all the way and win the World Cup with nothing bad happening to them. Like look at on the the last World Cup, what happened when Wales had an unbeaten run and then got to the the warm ups and then got battered by England and then it just took them down a peg. Uh, and I feel like this has come at the perfect time for France. Uh, and I wonder if in two weeks we might be seeing them absolutely tearing Scotland a new one. But it's so hard to tell because they're both so unpredictable. It is, and it's, it's going to be, yeah. So we've spent <laughs> we've spent enough time um, talking about exactly how well Scotland did because we've tried to avoid coming across that. did did they look that good because what they were playing against was an absolute puddle of shit? But um, I w- I'd like to jump to the end of the game because I think this... Reese Webb's yellow card, I think, may have been the perfect encapsulation of 
the entire Wales performance where he was binned for not going 10 on Scotland's last tap, tap and go in like the 81st minute. It was like the most pointless intervention of trying to somehow get one up on somebody at the end of the game where the scoreboard looks like that is just really just kind of encapsulated everything. There's, that just sums up every pointless thing you've tried to do in this game as a squad in that one moment, really. I'll tell you what, if we were doing Man of the Match and Dick of the Day for this, then Reese Webb has Dick of the Day sewn up. Like, it's the fact that <laughs> Ben White, purely probably out of spite... No, it wasn't Ben White. Who was, it was who Horn, was Horn, come on, but Horn, yeah, George Horn. Uh, just purely out of spite for Webb, took the quick tap, ran into him, went, way, get yellow carded, tapped it again and kicked it out for full time. <laughs> like, it's one of the pettiest <laughs> things I've ever seen, and I love it. And I, I am here wish, for it. Yes. I do wish, wish we, Reese Webb was sent off maybe a little bit earlier in the game, so we could have seen, you know, Wales potentially play without him. But, you know, it's fine. Better late than never. Yes, indeed. So, Wales, look, he he completely changed the pack effectively, didn't he? New front row. Alan Wynne-Jones gone. Dav Jenkins been given a start. New back row. You know, the incomparable Toby Talupe Falatau's on the bench. It's difficult, isn't it, if you're in a position because Gatlin's obviously had one last one last look at his old car last week or something, hasn't he? And gone, yeah, the steering's gone on this. It's fucked. I've, I can't do anything with it. And and he's had to like say, I got to go, just go get this one. And it's difficult, isn't it, to transform a squad in the glare of a Six Nations Championship when you are somehow meant to bring magic to something that's been malfunctioning for a little while. It's 2008 thing didn't help, did it? The disgrace of 2007, as you're well, you know, your elbows into in your wonderful podcast series at the minute. And then he somehow won a Grand Slam off the back of that. But those players, I think you, I think when Luke, Luke Upton was on one of your episodes, wasn't he, for Wales, Japan, was he? Wales, uh, Canada. Wales, Canada. Wales, yeah. Canada. And he made the point that actually it's hard to know why it all went so wrong because this is a good 15. Mm. You know, so actually Gatlin must have come over and gone, fuck, they, these lads are better than uh, than that performance suggested. Yeah. They're not better than the performance suggests oh. right now, are they? And he's no. had to, and, and at least you can look at, well, I don't know, I think, you're, you're a Wales fan, but I think you can look at that, what he's doing with the squad and go, this might take two years, but he's probably right to start it now. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. I think, I think that is it. Like, I looked at that Wales team getting names and I thought, oh, I really like this. Mm. Uh, and I think I stand by that. Even though, you know, we saw what Chunza happened. works so fucking hard, man. Yeah, like in a game where nothing went the Welsh Pack's way, like I can at least see with Shunza like what he could bring to the table in a game where Wales are playing well. Mm. Um, it's good that we've got all of the positives out the way um, about <laughs> Wales, but no, I do like Shunza, and uh, I mean I like Rafael as well. But obviously, we didn't really see much of him doing his thing. Um, on Saturday, did we? So, uh, as you say, it might be one of those things that takes a while and then it looks shit hot in two years, but um, it's hard to kind of look that far ahead at the moment, I suppose. Is Dan Bigger done? It's easy to jump to that conclusion, I think, after mm. the game like Saturday's. I I mean, there's a reason why I'm not uh, like an international level coach, but if I was and I was picking <laughs> the team, then... I wouldn't have him as a starter at the moment. 
Uh, and that's not to say he's done, because I don't think he is. But uh, if Gareth Anscombe was fit, I think he would absolutely have that tenure. And there's not much yes. kind of to be um, debated about that. Because I think that we saw it in 2019 when there was the axis of Anscombe would start off and kind of soften up the defence and then Bigger would come on and just fucking kill him uh, with his, like you know, with like 60 metre spiral kicks that um, the opposition backfield weren't ready for. And that, I think that is the ideal axis to have. But I think in the current setup that we have, uh, I mean, Patra wasn't much help uh, on Saturday when he came on, admittedly, which is unfortunate because I'm a big fan of his. But like, I'd like to see us give Owen Williams a go against England because he had come in to a Scotland, no, a Scotland team, an Ospreys team whose attack were just not firing at all and kind of went back to basics and they they could actually like do something with him and he's played like extremely simple stuff and it's really worked. And he's, I believe still unbeaten in the Ospreys 10 Jersey. Mm. Um, and you know what? Wales are in a similar position now to where the Ospreys were when he first came in. So it'd be quite interesting to give him a go. Somebody who's used to, you know, being in a winning environment, seeing how he goes and, you know, bringing on bigger for the last 20 minutes where there's less of what we saw on Saturday uh, to cram in. Yeah, but it doesn't. It it it, it it's difficult because it doesn't look like he's helping at the minute. No, you know, screaming at Rio Dyer for throwing a ball over his head, but actually, he also got both his hands to it, damn bigger. So why are you shouting at him? Do you yeah. know what I mean? There's... And also, and just and just, I don't know, being kind to him. He's trying too hard because he can mm. see what around him isn't going going that well. Is a kind way of putting it, but um. It's worrying. I think it's, I think it's settling and get ready for a difficult year or two. Yeah. But I think there's enough there to, to look like there might be something that could be done with it. I think. It's difficult to tell at the moment, isn't it? I think Dan Bigger was shit on Saturday. Like that. Terrible. Is, yeah. I, yeah. I would say that's probably the worst game I've seen him play for Wales. Me and Robbie had a conversation about this. The only other one we can think of that is as bad as that is the 16-0 draw with Fiji in, like, 2010, um, hmm. where I remember he was rubbish. That's going back some time, that isn't it? Yeah, and like, he was, like, 21 at that point. You mentioned the thing with Rio Dyer as well, which is, like, there's so many kind of angles. Well, there's not. There's two angles to this, and there's a correct one. One angle <laughs> to this is, if you're on an international rugby field, you're literally the highest apex of what you could possibly play, and if you do something shit on said international rugby field, you can probably get ready for someone to bollock you, right? Yeah. And along with that, if you're good enough to have played in an international rugby field, you're probably used to getting bollocked uh, and that kind of thing. Obviously, we don't know as spectators what Rio Dyer responds well to. He might respond yeah, really well true. to that kind of criticism. But at the same time, right, from what we can tell as spectators, Rio Dyer, as I don't know how old he is, he must be like 23, 24 is a very different personality to what Dan Bigger was at that age. and Because, like, Rio Dyer, right, as I say, like, as a fan of his, you look at him and go, like, oh, you know what, he's like a, a plucky youngster, he's loved at Rodney Parade, loves to have a crack, you know, um, punching above his weight kind of thing. Like, you, you can't help but be happy with for him. Whereas, like, Dan Bigger at that age was a knobhead um, <laughs> who everybody said, oh, yeah, he's so, like, overly confident. And, like, don't get me wrong, he matured a lot over the years, but Dan Bigger doing that, uh, there's a time and a place, I think, and Dan Bigger 
his time was while he was having a shit game and his place was at Murrayfield. Yes, indeed. And it's, um, yeah, there's flashes of class from Hawkins still, I think. I know yes. some people, I know, uh, I know Gav, Gavin, our mate, he's, uh, he's not convinced, um, overly, but I think there's flashes of, he seems to have, you've always got to look for people who look like they've got more time than they actually have. And he yeah. always seems to look like he's got a bit more time than they actually have, which usually is a sign of a bit of class for me, actually. Yeah. And I think that that's something that can be worked with. Yeah. No, 100%. I, like, I sympathise with anybody who will have had to play outside Dan Bigger on the weekend because he was just just playing like a <laughs> wanker all day. Uh, and like that's that was just not an easy job. As Amares correctly points out in the comments, that uh, shouting at a colleague in front of other people, especially when it's televised, is a cunch trick. Um, and that's absolutely spot on, uh, regardless of the situation. But yeah, like... It wasn't an easy job for Hawkins, right? Playing outside bigger in that complete atrocity. But again, like you could see there were moments of him like almost overruling bigger when he was getting things wrong and him going like, no, 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 now we're on the front foot, let's kick, you know? And he put in a couple of really good kicks. And like defensively, the amount of making up for Dan Bigger being an asshole he had to do, like the amount of times Dan Bigger was throwing his hands in the air or like trying to push up malls and stuff. And then Hawkins was like, okay, I'll mark both of these men, why don't I? Um, and I, I feel for Hawkins, right? And like I'm Alan Bateman and you're Arwell Thomas. I'll just fucking mark the whole midfield, yeah, shall I? Yeah, I'll just do the defence thing and you do the complaining <laughs> thing. Um, but yeah, like I, I, I felt for Hawkins on Saturday. I still think, um, as much as you know, he will play much better games for Wales than what he did there. But again, you could see the direction that he's headed in. Um, and I, I'm a big fan of the guy. I'm a big fan of like the. The, the potential avenues he can open up for Wales in attack. Um, and Saturday certainly wasn't example, an example of that. But, no. um, yeah, uh, he's not the problem. No. Uh, you can't pick two props on the bench. You can't scrummage either. That's a fundamental error. Yes. A really fundamental yeah. error. So I think they need to correct that one as well. But it was it was just terrible. And again, credit to Scotland. The second half in particular, they didn't give him a fucking minute really, to settle yeah. into anything. Yeah. As I say, they, they completely tore it apart. Finn Russell obviously um, correctly takes a lot of the, the glory for, you know, that, that the, both those tries he set up for Carl Stain were just fantastic. The um, Beautiful pass, yeah. yeah the cat the flap reverse, hand yeah. pass, yeah. And the thing is, like, from that top angle on television, you think, oh, he's stretching out to score the try. It's like, no, he's done that thing where you throw the pass to make the try look slightly nicer, and I'm here for it. <laughs> So, yes, so Wales play England next in Cardiff. Wales will be present for a rugby match against England. <laughs> My son's going down to Cardiff for that. He's not going to ticket, but he's, his mate lives down there, so he's going to go and experience the weekend. That's the, well, you'll like, still enjoy yourself. Who's he supporting? Oh, he's, he's, oh, he's, he's as Welsh as the come, Paddy, yeah. Born wow. in Cardiff, lived his whole life in Wales, got a... Yes, Cymru sticker on his guitar amp. Yeah, he's, uh, wow. he's serious about it. I was offered it. a ticket by a friend and uh, it was a very swift no because of um, the, the rugby-based factors that we've previously discussed. <laughs> Michael Charlton says, bigger showing top rugby values on Saturday, constantly being a prick than blaming it on the younger generation. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to get a job at the RFU if he's not careful. <laughs> yes, indeed. 
Shall we talk? We might as well stick on Saturday. Shall we talk about France versus Ireland? Oh, please. Wasn't How it good? a blinder? It was incredible. Like, I just felt like every single thing that happened in it was just better than the previous thing. I loved <laughs> it. I was I was cheering for both teams. It was incredible. It was just fabulous. I mean, the first half in particular was like, what a fucking game of rugby we've got here. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And like, um, starting from, like, from Keenan's try onwards, it just felt like it was going to be like a 90-all draw. <laughs> what was... Um... Penno's try cracked me up because it was literally I was I was coming for the Guardian and they spent two minutes I was going you know I'm throwing it behind you you, you you trade secrets but you're trying to you know craft a fucking paragraph in ninety seconds to to post it so you're literally like rocking and going and going ball three throw behind each other terrible shape not a clue what's going on they're really all over the place oh fucking hell they've scored am I going to somehow write this into into the fact that they've scored but it did look it was. It was a complete fucking shambles when the ball was thrown behind. Was it Ramos? And then yes, and then Ramos, Ramos somehow managed to have hold of it. Somehow just throw it right. Well, two passes after Ramos somehow got rid of it. Jalonch was fucking powering over the halfway line. And I then Penno, Penno, who Sammy and Penno, <laughs> Penno, I think had, I think he spent roughly three minutes on his wing, on Saturday. In the entire game, because he then so, just popped up running off and ran and ran a, an angle into the left corner, yes. effectively away from where he was on the right wing. It was incredible. There's a stat about Damian Peno that since the start of 2022, I believe he has scored more as many tries, I think, as he has been tackled for France, which is genuinely <laughs> insane. Think, that but can't be right. He gets he gets tackled on like a third of his touches of the ball. Um, and don't get me wrong, that includes it get, like passing the ball and stuff as well. Yeah. Just ever since I learned that stat, I'm just certain that he's on a right on crusade to just never be tackled. So like he will he will offload at all costs. He will you know break any tackle and go right. I'm cashing in. This this boosts my uh, tackles broken to tackles um, successfully made on me ratio. Um, yeah, there's some lud- I might have got it slightly wrong, but there is a ludicrous stat about the fact that Dam- Damian Penno is just untackleable. Yeah, it's just, and I find Penno fa- fascinating. One, because he's just wonderful to watch anyway. Mm. But he's one of those incredibly gifted athletic people that somehow looks like he's constantly about to fall over, but makes it look like ballet, like powerful athletic ballet. Well, all ballet is powerful athletic, but you know what I mean? So basically, because his step looks slightly off balance and like he's not, he's like, oh, he's going to lose all his pace here because he's lost his footing. It's like, no, he hasn't. What the fuck's just happened there? That's just, it's, it must be really hard to mark it. I know, apart from the obvious, it must be really hard to mark him actually because he, you're never quite sure what direction he's going to go in, but not in a kind of Jason Robinson way, in a kind of, he just looks like he's a bit of a, shambles is too strong a word, but this is sort of like slightly drunk way of running that is yeah. just remarkable, like- really. He doesn't have like the outright gas of like a Corombete or Mapimpi or anyone like that. He's just like, if you made a top trumps card for Damian Penno, his stats would all be just 10 more than whoever happens to be stood next to him at the time. (laughs) And it just morphs depending on who's near him. He's a really strange player to quantify what's so good about him. But yeah, that was a wonderful try. Absolutely wonderful try. Did you hear Jiffy's analysis on that, by the way? I did not. 
Or if I did, I've, I've, I've the, forgotten it immediately. On the Sunday rugby special thing that uh, that was on last night, um, well, I didn't watch they, that. They threw over to Jiffy to and said like, "Oh, okay, you know, talk us through this try, do your analysis stuff." And he goes, "So um, Ramos passes the ball, and then um, the winger, yeah, then uh, then the flanker gets it, and then there's a prop, <laughs> throws it, um, and then uh, hang on a second, um, Penord, yeah, um, uh, he scores, yeah." Uh, still getting away with it. Incredible. Still getting away, still getting away with, it. with it. But it's a, it was, yeah, just a, a wonderful try. And I think from Ireland's, I, there's lots of talk about people being unconvinced by Ireland. I mean, they're still not playing as well as they did last year, I don't think. But I think a lot of people saying it's not going well is 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 purely based based again a bit like my Wales production on vibes just because they're all just yes. waiting for when it's going to go wrong because it always does yeah. in a World Cup year. There's nothing that I'm seeing on the pitch that just should make anybody think, yeah, this is a problem. Even Ross Byrne seemed to just slot in perfectly fine when he came on, and he's not God, Johnny he Sexton, yeah. but he came on and we just did. In that brilliant, because the way Farrell builds attacks, that's the only thing you could say is a slight negative, if that's a ridiculous thing to say. But they are quite structured in the way they attack. So, one, the good thing is anyone can drop in, but also I suppose it might be a little bit predictable. But it all happens so quickly with mm. so many runners that I don't think it matters if it's predictable or not, really. No, that's it. You can predict it. But if it's happened, you know, two seconds quicker, then it does not matter at all. Ross Byrne was great, and so was Craig Casey. Like, the fact that <laughs> Ireland have managed to win a game like that against the opposition, so you know, by a decent enough margin, whilst not just relying on Murray, JGP, and Sexton, like that they can bring off bring off those the halfbacks and go. No, actually, these two are going to need to get dropped in the deep end at some point if we're going to get to a World Cup semi final or final. Like that, we need to make sure that they know how to close out these games. And they both, you know, brought the tempo up another notch. Like they were just fantastic. Like as you say, like the structure of Ireland is what is so good about them. And I think people are unconvinced because what they're doing is not particularly flashy. But actually, as you say, like they, their speed of ball is so insanely quick, and they're so quick into shape that it's just undefendable. Yes, and um, and when you've got the likes of Beelan playing first receiver with the aplomb that you know you'd expect from a, a glorious player for that Keenan try. I mean, Ireland are even making um, sort of dummy, dummy loop pop moves from 25 years ago into tries in the Six Nations, which yeah. somehow just doesn't feel right at all. But Finley Beelan, first receiver, dummy, <laughs> literally dummy to loop, and then popped into Keenan. Keenan came from about 47 metres away to take that yeah. ball. What's interesting about that, so that's usually um, like a two-phase set move of, you know, we'll play our line out, we'll crash it up in the midfield, and then we'll pass it to this guy who then passes it inside to Keenan. That's usually kind of like the way it's gone. But that was done off a goal line dropout rather than a line out. <laughs> yes. So like the level of like attention to detail that must have gone into that, because when Doris first caught that goal line dropout and started running, like, charging forwards no matter where the space was, I was thinking like, What's he like? Is he's so insanely straight and direct there? And then you know you realize, like, oh wait, no, because they're planning this like well in advance. Like everybody knows their role spot on from a kickoff. And like when you're calling those things, like you, every everybody's on the same page, which is what 
you know, separates Ireland from other teams. I've said it before, and I think that everybody seems to know even what they're supposed to do on turnover ball. Yeah, almost like a special teams NFL setup that actually everyone, you know, when we get to about this is the play we run. So yeah. you run into that hole, you run into that hole, you're running that arc. You know, you're doing a fucking post move, whatever the fucking I don't understand <laughs> NFL. But you know what I mean. But that's all. Everybody just instinctively seems to know one when to run, and their alignment is unbelievable in yeah. every situation. Their alignment is, un- and whether it's forwards or backs, they're fucking unbelievable. Yeah, and the, and don't or you know what well, we all know is, is when we've attempted to play a game in rugby or coach it, the amount of effort you've got to put in attacking wise to get your alignment that good. Because yeah. actually, you're doing 60% of your running, not off. you're doing it off the ball to get in position. Yeah, yeah. And to, to be able to not only do that, but to do that in half a second, as Ireland do, yeah. is just unbelievable. And, it, and you know, James Lowe just like giant cunting it all around the pitch. Do you know what I mean? Yes, sir. I'm going to go here now and be a giant cunt, and I'll be over there in a minute scoring a try being a giant cunt. I'm going to put my left foot through the ball in a really giant cuntish way in a minute and then just generally walk after it like a giant cunt, basically. Is you know, is it kind of symbolic of what a different team they are, really? <laughs> I, I love I love a balanced back three, such as, uh, you know, strange Australian hippie, Mac Hansen, um, <laughs> tiny little boy from Dublin who looks slightly confused but is extremely decisive in everything he does on a rugby field, Hugo Keenan. And... Guy with Will's most punchable face, James Lowe. <laughs> yeah. like, Se- really 19 stone guy with punchable face, James. With, <laughs> yeah. Was it, Joe, with, with, as Josh puts it, purely decorative hair? <laughs> I'll tell you what, if you're picking a most punchable Six Nations 15, like him and Ollie Hassel Collins are fighting for that 11 jersey, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. But, um, and then it just, um, it could have been a lot better for Ireland, actually, if it wasn't for the fact that uh, Dupont has the is basically the tincture of ten bears with his strength. Like ten bears have been boiled down to their essence and put into some into a blue kit. It's hard to think of a better tackle that you've seen in the Six Nations. <laughs> it's like, just ludicrous. Like the amount of try savers you see, where you know somebody's come across and has technically just got their timing spot on. And you know, he's in the perfect position and pushes someone and stuff. Like that is just pure brute upper body strength. He's done. like Mac Hansen is a strong guy. Like the amount of times you see him like playing for Connor or Ireland and scoring those tries against bigger men. Um like it's unprecedented that DuPont can bully him to such a degree into t- like you know, to the towards the touchline. It was it was genuinely insane. Like that was more entertaining than anything you'll see in the Six Nations all year. And then, of course, they've got Caelan Doris. Well, they've got Caelan Doris on that day in particular. Yes. But he's pretty solid. Yeah. He's, he's very good, Caelan Doris. He's exactly the number eight they need, I think, because he, you, you look at him and you don't think, you know, like, I don't know, like, he's not as big as, you know, like an Alex Dombrandt or someone like that. And, you know, he doesn't have, he, well, other than kind of the offload for that uh, ring rose try, like you don't outright look at him and go from the offset, like, oh yeah, he's got the same skill set as like a Falatau or an Aldri or whatever. But everything he does kind of flies under the radar. He's like so like underrated in that, like as I say, like 
the thing of getting into shape early, he does that and positions himself so perfectly that he can always find dominant carries everywhere he goes. And that offload for the Ring Rose try was one of the best offloads I've ever seen. Like he didn't he didn't give in to temptation, go you know, out the cap flap. He it just made it look like a normal pass whilst getting manhandled by Guile Fiku. It's insane. Speaking of Fiku, reminds me, I think that some of the issues with France, and it sometimes is as simple as this, is that compared to last year, everybody's playing about 15% less well. Mm. So I think Aldrich's playing probably 20% less well than he did last year. Fiku is probably not quite a player. Was it? I've never been that convinced by Dante, but I think they're missing him. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think they're missing him. Um, Demortier looks all right. Obviously, Pinot's playing brilliantly still. Yeah. Uh, Ramos brings a bit of chaos energy, and you know, even, even did a drop goal on Saturday. So you've got to you've got to love that. Yeah. But I think the forwards in particular just aren't playing that well. Are we? Are they missing Walkie? Is this, is it as simple as that? Possibly. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, for all for all of the, the you know that is oft repeated journey, I'm not convinced by Flamon at all. Yeah, so, I mean, I was I was looking back over the um, the France Italy game uh, in the last couple of days and. I've realised that he didn't actually play that well. He spent the entire time um, trying to market uh, and trying to target Stephen Varney, and realised he's just doing Paul Valencia's job not as well as him. Um, I think he's, it's probably because he's not as fat as Paul Valencia and as scary and South African as Paul Valencia. Um, but um, I mean, I do like Flamon. He's a really good player and um, is extremely good in attack. But I think he's probably like 10, 15 caps away from being at his prime. I think he's a talented player. I'm yeah. not sure he's a very good player for what the trying the role they need right now. You yeah, know what I mean? like France do need a bastard in the second row, <laughs> um, where, and like you know, like Bernard Larue really like w- was that a couple of years ago. <laughs> they need they... late period Bonaire in there, <laughs> yes. moved into the second row. Late yes, period. yeah. When they've when killed the Collins, got fifty caps. That's mad. That <laughs> Go from? figure that. <laughs> Like I was genuinely shocked. Like Andrew Porter was at least like, oh okay. Like it feels like he's still quite young, but I guess he has been first choice for a number of years. Like he's played both loose head and tight head. Like it makes sense. Where's Dave Kilcoyne's fiftieth cap crept up on us from? I'd have guessed Amazing. he had about twenty one. I think he's had them in like ten cap blocks over like forty years yeah. or something. It feels you know what I mean. It's over yeah. over like seven years or something. It's, it's very very strange. The um, yeah. I'll tell you what I've got, I feel really good for, and that's Stuart McCluskey. Yes. One, he's playing very well and deserves his place, but it's it feels like he's been off a very, very long run up this, hasn't it? Yeah. In getting a run, on, run in the team. And and, all, and it must have been tough for him because all the narrative coming in is just, well, they might struggle without the world-class, you know, Henshaw in midfield yeah. and stuff like that. And actually, yeah, I'm I just, just pleased for him. And he has been yeah. playing, really putting a shift for him. I think everybody who's kind of watched the URC in the last eight years can't help but be pleased for him because he's always had that autumn international against Fiji and played quite well in it. And then they've gone, all oh, right, sorry, Henshaw and Aki are back this week. So, you yes. know, you can go back to Ulster and do your thing there. Thank you for your service. <laughs> and he's really bloody good. Like, um, he's he's got kind of the passing and kicking game to back up his the fact that he is bloody massive. And like, um, got got that really crucial uh, breakdown turnover on the weekend as well, and like he's just so solid in everything he does. Um, yeah, no, I really like him. I'm really glad he's 
grasp his opportunity and I have no idea how they're going to line up when they've got, you know, all four of their top class centres fit. Well, I don't think they'll be, they won't struggle by bringing in Henshaw, will they? This is the thing, you know, it's not, it's not like, you know, Ringrose stays at 13, whatever happens, doesn't he? Yeah. And like, if McCluskey ends up being relegated to the guy who plays against Samoa in the World Cup, then fair play, they could do a lot worse. Yes, indeed. Anything else on Ireland or France even, or the game? Uh, not that I can think of. Just another word for DuPont's tackle because it was that good. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> How is he so strong? He is literally fucking Mighty Mouse, isn't he? It's, it's just a question ridiculous. It's repeating, isn't it? Yeah. It's, yeah, insane. I mean, I know he is boxy, but he's just not big enough. It's, I'm assuming that if he wasn't, if he wasn't this, he'd be an Olympic weightlifter. I'm guessing, because he is obviously very, very, very strong, isn't he? If he was an Olympic weightlifter, we probably won't have found out what, how he looks in a dressing gown. So I'm very grateful for the career path. Very true. We would see him in a in a unitard, though, which I, which I do fancy. Yeah, um, maybe once he retires. Yeah, indeed. Right, so we've now got to go on. We, we've avoided it long enough. We've now got to talk about, you know, an absolute shit way to spend Sunday afternoon that is England versus Italy. <laughs> Because without fail, these games are fucking shit, aren't they? Apart from the time when Italy, like, you know, did the Fox Jackal thing, the Fox Rook thing, which uh, which was hilarious. Beyond that, I think Josh often says it defies all logic, but no matter how England are playing or what the situation is, they always just beat Italy. They're like the perfect flat-track bully, yeah. basically. With a bonus point. No trouble. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And I don't think Italy played very well. Do you reckon? No, yeah. they've got more in the. Now it's a get what comes first, chicken and egg thing, isn't it? Yeah, because this they've got more in them than than in them than this. But yes. did England's very very good. It took them far too long to work out that just doing two passes out is just going to walk straight into Kevin Sinfield's midfield push, <laughs> wasn't it? It took them far too yeah. long to work that out. It's it's mad with Italy at the moment. Like they fuck about so much, like especially in their own twenty-two. But the th- the, the weird thing about Italy is you see them doing these like you know these really strange patterned plays in their own twenty-two, and they go, like, oh look at all of this flashy handling they're doing. Oh what they've dropped the ball, never mind. But then right, the defense is so busy looking at that and going like, oh you know what? we can pick up a strap here, we can like we can nail them back to their own try line. And then Italy run hands down the line. It's like, whoa, how do we defend this? Very confusing team to watch an attack. Yeah, and just they just weren't as snappy as last week, were they? And you, no. I think maybe that was England getting up at them a bit more quickly. Yeah. But they had almost like, I think Varney ran a, a double loop in one yeah. of the backs moves against France last week. And yeah. so they always had these two people looping round perfectly timed. And those late passes, which which came a bit more in the second half, but first half they were really fucking struggling. Yeah, and it, I mean, just it was just a misery, misery fest, wasn't it? I mean, England did, did seem to be tried to do something slightly different. I did notice the two wingers kept ending ended up on one wing, or first phase. So they're obviously trying to overload a bit, aren't they, on one one side of the pitch or first phase and stuff like that. If they actually get there, but I just don't know. I know you want to get a win. But I just, I just don't know what, what you do as part of your development by just doing 
monster catching drives all day. Yeah, I mean, I I think it might be because you know I'm I, I, in in a, in a sense a neutral here. I don't mind that so much. Like I think that yeah, as you say that like they had to just get get the win, and I think after the way Italy performed last week, there probably was a bit of like. It's Steve Borkwick's second game in charge. We just have to do whatever is possible. To... And he's lost the first one. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And um, they realised quite early on, like, oh no, we can we can get through them in the pack, and like our defence is looking very solid against them. We just have to kind of rely on that a little bit. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think Farrell played well. Um, I think he he put the ball in the right places. Um, Ollie Lawrence played well, um, like yep. just constantly over the gain line. Uh, makes kind of picking. Chesham looks a keeper, doesn't he? God, he looks good, doesn't he? Yeah. He Ludlam gets through an obscene amount of work. He does. Yeah. Absolute nuisance. Yeah. Chesham and Detoje as a second row partnership could be scary for years to come. He played well, didn't he? His first, it's the first Marowitoje game I've seen from Marowitoje for what feels like quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. No, he was very good. Um, did his usual thing of uh, being an extreme nuisance and like. I think Chesham compliments that by being massive, being really solid at set piece and, you know, carrying really well. And I think the two complement each other really well and will do for a long time to come. But I think, you know, it was, I think what I was left with afterwards was just feeling that that's the exact performance we'd have put in with Eddie Jones. Yeah. But uh, to be fair, that they wouldn't have had that selection, which did look better. It's hard to know yeah. if this is the shape of things to come, whether this is let's try this because it's a home against Italy. Yeah. But I can't help thinking that this is probably the way to go. And having a lad who can really straighten it up and do some damage at 12 doesn't do anybody any harm, does it? Yeah. I wonder if they'll be tempted to go for um, Smith, Farrell and Lawrence as a midfield. Because uh, I could really see that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think Slade I, brings a lot, though, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. He does. You know, what I mean, I think as well, Slade kind of does what Farrell can do at twelve. I know he's at thirteen, but he kind of moves in and out the channel anyway. Yeah, and no, I do he's think, a good distribution option. And and I do think there. Farrell's just the best ten. I mean, I don't disagree. Um, that you know, Farrell is is the best game manager out of the lot. You know, uh, yeah. out of anyone England have had for uh, since Johnny Wilkinson, if if not better, actually, and probably is better. Um, what are thoughts on George Ford? Oh, we don't know yet, do we? Because he's only yeah. just come back. So. But considering Ford was so important to Leicester winning the, um, the Premiership when Borthwick was in charge, you can only imagine that the first opportunity he's going to think of a role for him. Uh, I, I wonder what kind of the dynamic between Ford and Smith will be like when Farrell's in the mix as well. Because I think that, in a way, you kind of have to get all three into the squad because uh, Smith's game management has come on night and day from where it was 12 months ago. Um, people are complaining about um, Smith and Farrell as a combination, and I don't buy that at all. Um, I think that the, the, uh, the presence of Farrell makes Smith a lot better uh, because Farrell can just make half of Smith's decisions for him in a way that when Smith first came up at Harlequins and they won the Premiership, Danny Kerr was doing that to help him out. Yeah. And like I think it, it's really helped Smith in the way that he manages games um, at a higher level, which has been a learning curve for him, and he's come on massively. Um, and it's really, you know, as you say, like Farrell is the best 10 and you wonder can he just be a 10 wearing 12 um which i think is kind of what they've been doing with him 
Uh, aside from the odd crash ball um, Eddie Jones was sending one, but I don't think Steve Borthwick's interested in that, especially if he's got Ollie Lawrence available to him after what happened on Sunday. So, yeah, it's hard to tell. They've got a lot of options. Um, I'm a big fan of George Ford, as you well know, um, and we'll welcome him coming back unless it's against Wales in two weeks. The, um, but fair to, to be fair to Italy, I think this... I mean, they lost to nil last year, didn't they? And... Mm. There was a point at which, to, in the middle of that, probably after 20, mid-20, 20, in the second quarter, I was thinking, this is going to be fucking 30-odd nil again. Because they were yeah. looking all over the shot. And to be fair to them, Crowley does seem to be able to make a difference, doesn't he, when he has a word with them. And they do seem to pull themselves out of the hole a bit. Because they were great for the third quarter, weren't they? Yeah. And then it just kind of, they, they, they'd already given themselves too much to do. And England were just so strong. And any time they, you know got a penalty, you know where it was going and it was another catch and drive and score. But um but credit to them and I have to say I've <laughs> have you ever seen anybody with be- a forward with better feet than Federico Rutter? He's he is a bizarre isn't he a bizarre <laughs> yeah. I, I love him because he he's absolutely convinced he's a fullback. It's incredible. There's, yeah. It, like he's seen the five on the back of his shirt and he's gone, all right, 15, yeah, sound. And like <laughs> What, uh, there's a lot of things I love about him. He refuses to carry the ball in two hands. He always has it in one hand. There was like, any opportunity to kick the ball, he will take. There was a time last year uh, against Georgia where he called a mark, and he was, it was like it was the best day of his life. All of his birthdays have arrived at once. Like I've finally done the fullback thing and called a mark. I get to kick it back now. Um, and yeah, he will offload at any opportunity. And what I love about him is he will catch a line out, deliver it to. Uh, it's scrum off and then just go right okay I'm staying here I'm on the edge yep I'm not I'm not going and doing that carrying pods thing I'm I'm playing on the edge I'm playing on the wing you know and I also love that he did the thing of when Lamoureux went off and the referee was like okay he's who's captain now and Rutz was like it's me it's me I'm captain <laughs> the um I had a lot of time um just to show how bad it was for Italy and that's that you know in the first half when Italy reached that part of their performance where Danilo Fischetti took the ball at second receiver and kicked a touch in his own 22. That's, That's the fun. level of organisation that they had in terms of how to exit from a difficult situation. I'm loving own... that we're now reaching Federico, no, um, Danilo Fischetti, uh, fuck it, I do it myself territory. I fully <laughs> embrace this. <laughs> he is now that guy. Yeah, he's, he, he is the new uh, Sergio. Just yeah. fucking give it here. I'll get it off the park. No problem. <laughs> Lamoureux, he's the captain. He's way too fucking humble for this. Like, <laughs> we we have to have somebody who just gra- grabs this game by the ego and just gets rid of the thing. <laughs> I fucking love him. Yeah, um, I love him. He's so good. A lot of time for Simone Ferrari as well. He came on two minutes mm. later, pulled them all down, then he said, right, get off again. That'll do you. <laughs> 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 not warmed up yet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, I like Ferrari as well. You've got to give me four minute grace periods to get up to speed. Come on. You can't just fucking <laughs> yell a card me for that. It's ben interesting tried. as well that from what you were just saying a minute ago, I believe that was Italy's closest ever game at Twickenham, like their smallest losing margin. And we're here saying like they didn't play very well. It probably is a sign that you know, there there is something to um Maybe maybe this game, this fixture that happens every two years might not be forever. So who knows? I think if they can marry up 
Well, one, we know their under-20s are materialising, don't we? We know that, and they've been pulling people into this squad even. They've clearly got some confidence about... In a way, they've got confidence in the things that are the most difficult. They're like complicated first-face moves, you know, uh, angled runs out in the 12 and 13 channel in two phases, well-timed for the most part. They struggled in the first half, but they they, they pulled it back together. I think if they can marry that with actually having something that resembles sense, one around the rook, to just to bring a few few runs and a few shapes and phases in around the rook, and something resembling a territorial kicking game. Yes. Or at least try it. Give it a go. Just try and kick it, you know. They... uh... I think in both games they've run off like a kickoff. They've run like first phase set plays, which I've never seen a team try. It's before. fucking exhausting for a start. It's, That's it's the other thing. Mad, but the thing is, like, once you've made that first break and you've you've pushed your luck, you've got up to the ten meter line, right? The the opposition are just going to think you right. They're going to attack from anywhere. That's when you start kicking because they yes. won't be able to cope with that. Yeah, indeed, and it's um, it's. But you know, whisper it because we we've been here. This this is definitely the best setup they've had since what well, the late two thousands, isn't it? Really, what was yeah. the year they won two games? Two thousand and nine, can't remember. Yeah, but um, and this is definitely this is the best group they've got since with a the younger profile as well. Like younger profile, uh, two decent front rows, I would say that can come yeah. on at any one point. Um, Paledri's back now, of course, and yes. a bit of a cameo, didn't he? Um. And I just think they're, um, yeah, and they're just a really joyful team to watch. Yeah. I mean, Stephen Varney still didn't play very well this weekend. They still managed to somehow look half decent. Yeah, yeah, he's he's getting there. Like, I think Stephen Varney today is like twice as good as Stephen Varney 12 months ago. Oh, last so. week he was like somebody who painted a face on a bin and sent that out there. It was fucking awful. But he's, uh, but yeah, he was better this week. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I'm increasingly growing to like Varney a little bit more, but um, he's still like, 12 years old, so... I know, bless him. Um, anything else to say on this one? Uh, I don't think so, no. Um... Well, I've got one last thing to say. I literally... I don't know I was hysterical by this point because the game was so shit and I had enough, but Ollie Lawrence not getting penalised for being two inches off the ground when apparently was meant to be supporting his own weight when he nicked that ball for a turnover late on. I was in hysterical gales of laughter at how much he was off his feet and it wasn't called. And then laughed even more when both Ben Kay and Flatman went on about his amazing technique. He's like, Tommy was 12 inches off the floor and he was reaching both arms out to get the ball. I mean, I'm not a scientist, but surely physics will tell you that's not something you can do while supporting your own body weight. Tell you what, getting away with things is a big part, a, a big art mm. of, in rugby. You know, the art of getting away with things. How people learn that they're going to get away with something like that—that that is what <laughs> truly. Like, surely you expect to get penalised and stuff like that. Separates and, the greats from just the good. That is. That's the it. Very I have so one. much respect for that, especially when it's sort like if it's Mauro Otoja does that. You're like, yeah, of course he knows what every referee does and doesn't give. When it's all like Ollie Lawrence, you're like, fair play. Like he's picked his battles well. But, Honestly, every time they play another replay, I laughed even more at how just, <laughs> just, just so blatantly obvious it was that he was not that he was not supporting his own body weight. But it did, uh, it it did make me laugh. Yeah, that's my last bit on this. Shall we finish with shit good? 
Yes. That brings us to the end of the weekend. We're going to talk about shit good now. Uh, we do shit first, don't we? Have you got any shit in your locker there? We've spoken about Dan Bigger in the weekend, so um, <laughs> uh, instead, I'm going to talk about Clive Woodward. <laughs> oh, God, he's so bad. There's, there's, there's so much to say, but uh, I would like to open with the fact that he described England as being behind the times. <laughs> he ironically said, unironically said, yeah. And like, behind the times of Clive Woodward, he's thinking like, oh yeah, you know, that that's what, like the 1500s we're talking? Like, he is the man who is permanently stuck in 2003 and he is the one of all of the insults he could have given England behind the times is the one that's least likely to stick hey look you think you'd be in a good mood as well because he's finally got to see Ollie Lawrence play remember how disappointed <laughs> he was a few years ago and he wasn't playing so he's yeah. finally got to have a look at him he must have been delighted to so say I told you told you very good player <laughs> when I wanted to see him three years ago I knew that but instead, he said, um, I've made a few notes here, such as um, England lacked ambition. <laughs> you don't need yes. a whiteboard to remember that one, Clive. Um, but the thing that baffled me the most was, and bear in mind, here he is saying that England are behind the times. Please keep that in mind with what I'm about to tell you, okay? Saying England are behind the times. He's come up with this revolutionary idea, which is clearly he's really forward thinking, and England should hire him immediately for this. But as the teams were coming back out after half time, he says, uh, what I really hope Steve Borthwick does here is um, doesn't bring any substitutions on. He needs to keep the 15 exactly as it is for the full game. Um, you need to make sure that uh, none of this is messed with, uh, nothing changes, right? And then he brings it up after the game and says, oh, you know, the reason why that was such a poor, horribly poor England performance is because Steve Borthwick brought on substitutions. And, uh, you know, you've, you're bringing on uh, players who aren't in your first 15 there. I don't see why you would possibly ever do that. Um, other than... Because uh, than, um, uh, obviously, Henry famously, Ongar. every other brilliant team that does brilliantly well never brings any subs on. There's, There's never, no possible way of having a coherent performance with subs coming on. Or, you know, yeah. Yeah, other than Henry Arundel, who he said, oh, oh yeah, he's basically first choice. So um, it's fair enough <laughs> that you bring him on. But the reason why he said that is because he started saying it, then they showed Arundel's try. And so clearly oh, I had someone in his ear saying, like, no, say Arundel was good. Say Arundel was good. And his hand was... was Having forced. done a bit of telling, and I had to, I had to comment on, on some games of the Challenge Cup when I was on BT Rugby Tonight once, they, they mm. wheel like a big telly out in front of you. So while you're talking, they start replaying stuff. So you've got to kind of know to go, oh, and this is his, his whatever happening here sort of thing. Um, Gareth Batty scoring for Bath or whatever but it was, but... Uh, yeah, so that's the yeah, he was terrible. What about at half time when Lawrence Thalia said that really when Jack Willis had scored? Willis played all right, by the way. When Jack Willis had scored, and Lawrence Delario, and everyone was like saying, Oh, he must have been wonderful for him with him coming back after all his injuries. And Delario said, Yeah, I mean, you know, he's been selected. There's no sentiments in rugby. And he scored it. So like, what 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 a really fucking weird thing to say. That there's like, you know, yeah, nobody can ever feel anything. Anything for people who've been out. There? For eight for sixteen months, you know, was he trying to say that he's been selected because of his he deserves it, not for sentimental reasons? I guess I don't. It's just a really weird way of putting it at a really weird time. I think he must just be really jealous of the amount of drugs Jack Willis has been given uh, in his time off the field. I don't know. 
He's a Michael Charlton says, I mean, Cruz is convinced that Woodward has never actually coached rugby. You know, there's something in that. He put so many layers of management into and people into that England squad in 2003 that I'm wondering whether he was basically like Howard Hughes. They just left him in a room to write things on the wall and weigh in bottles and stuff like that and not come out. And he just kept handing these like flip charts out with daft scribble on it. They went, yeah, we'll use that, Clive. Yeah, don't worry, mate. Yeah, yeah, great idea. work experience, kid. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, the people actually do the people like Andy Robinson were actually doing the sensible stuff. And yeah, Br- and they just Brian didn't Ashton. want the blame in case it all went wrong. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, all right, Clive, you can you can write on the whiteboard, and um, uh, when this all goes horribly wrong, we'll say that you're the head coach, and then they yeah. just accidentally won the World yeah. Cup. Yeah, these percentages that you've written down make re- yeah they make a load of sense, Clive. Yeah, thanks for doing that. Yeah, we'll use that. Yeah, yeah. no, you don't need to come out. No, you watch your film. You watch your film, all right? Yeah, we'll give you a shout in a minute. Bizarre that he's... The thing is, like, I've never seen somebody say, like, oh, yeah, his his analysis, what he brings on punditry is really good. Like, occasionally you see somebody who hasn't noticed that rugby has changed in the last 30 years, watches Jiffy's analysis and goes, oh, yeah, he's the best in the business. Because, you know, because, like... To Jiffy's credit, he can spot when a player spot a mismatch, right? That yeah. is that is something that he can notice. Um, and look, it's horrible to get all wanky about this kind of thing. But like sometimes people look at Jiffy and go like, oh yeah, he tries to do a bit of analysis. And like, sure, I, I get that, even though you're wrong. I've never seen someone praise Clive Woodward like as a pundit. How do they still employ him? Well, I put a comment on Twitter about the fact I'm always amazed by that somebody who won a World Cup knows fuck all about rugby these days. I wasn't bothered. And it, it it blew up a bit. I got loads of responses. I think people were sharing it. I got loads of it. And I did get a few people defending him. Oh, really? One bloke, one bloke weirdly said, well, you've won fuck all. And he, and he, which is a really weird thing to say. He's got no idea what I've won, mate. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He, uh, he said... Um, but you've written on whiteboards before, haven't you? He has, and, it, it, it's the way, and they said something like, you put a winning mentality into England, whereas you've won nothing. It's like, well, I'm not being, well, one, that's a really weird thing to give credit to. So what does that even mean? And two, actually, if you're going to put it that way, Jeff Cook actually gave England a winning mentality in 1989, which is why they went on to become a brilliant team for the next six years. Do you know what I mean? Because he's the one who brought in loads of shit to, anyway. But yeah, you get weird people defending him about how he's, yeah. I'm so glad they've not come my way. Anyway, moving on. Shit, Harleyworthy says, hello, Harley's in the comments as well. Hello. He says, shit is Wales on the overflowing cesspit at the core of the team. I'm assuming that means damn bigger. Uh, yeah. Good. He said, I finally finished relaying my patio and celebrated with some home smoked brisket. Yes. Winter barbecuing is the way forward. Anybody who waits for the summer is a loser. Anna Seligman says, shit is more revelations like we couldn't predict it. The WRU staff used homophobic slurs and derogatory language, particularly about Nigel Owens. They're a fucking disgrace. Yep. Yep. Welsh rugby, and particularly Welsh men's rugby, is on fire still. I mean, the thing is, right, there are so many things you can have a go at Nigel Owens about. It just shows a total lack of imagination because you're fucking horrible discriminatory cons, obviously. That yeah. that's the thing that you would go for. It takes a certain type of person for that to be the first thing that comes to mind. It's fucking terrible. Yeah. Neil Weber says that shit is that Semi Radranda's off to Leon. We've not seen enough of him in a Bristol shirt. 
Yeah, I mean, we get to see less of them in the UK, and therefore it is a shit thing. It is a shit thing. Dennis Souter says his shit is the absolute fucking shambles that is the Worcester Atlas Six Ways Stourbridge clusterfuck. A pox on all their houses. Yes. Yeah, because they've, they've, they're not applying to join the championship this time now. They've withdrawn that, and they're calling themselves Six Ways Rugby or something. The rebranding. The or something. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, ben Smith says shit is the inevitable shit for yet more cat one concussion symptoms being missed. North playing on then going through an HIA about 10 minutes later. Yeah. As Lamoureux did as they had to tell, they had to, somebody had to order Herring off the field, didn't they? Yeah. The one with North was horrible. Like clearly that that was the independent match doctor will have had to say like, no, he clearly can't stand. Why have you told him to play on? Yes. Yes, that's all terrible. Uh, what, right, that's it then. Should we do some good? What have you got as good? Um, the bit in the Wales-Scotland video before a ball was kicked, uh, <laughs> i.e. the national anthems. Yes, they were good. Negri, he was very good again. Yes. Some player. Yeah. Uh, apart from the cunch trick on um, Owen Farrell's face and potentially eye area, that wasn't great. Um, no, that wasn't great. I mean, to be... Life can carry, though. Farrell started it by throwing his arm up at him first, but then putting your hand sure. over somebody's face is fucking shitty, isn't it? Yeah. Um, a, a big good for me. Did you see Duan van der Meer was interviewed before the game? Yes. When he got very, very teary. Yeah, I like um, that. Yeah, well, you know, he said, and it, that, that constant question that hangs over, you know, why are you giving, you know, you played schoolboy levels and everything for South Africa so why are you playing for Scotland and I never really, I didn't really know his story to be honest but he was very heartfelt said he'd been at Montpellier hadn't he somewhere and, or somewhere or, and that basically failed his medical and Edinburgh said yeah. well we'll still give you a chance anyway and he's like well so yeah. I'll basically do any, I'll do anything for this country now because they they basically gave me everything when I had nothing and I thought I had no future and he was probably getting quite te- teared up when he was saying it yeah now two things I, one one I think it's a bit of a fucking you know fuck you to all these people who wonder why people want to play for yes. countries the people who say nice. like oh but he's south african it's like no shut up like bit of a fucking he's rebuke the to, right the, to be scottish to the project player narrative but yeah. then again, part of me then also feels, but hang on, you don't need to fucking tearfully earn the right either. I'm a bit annoyed with yeah. myself for finding... Part The other part of me is a bit like, no, well, he's lived here for a certain amount of time. He wants to stay here first. So therefore, of course, that's what he wants to do. Yeah. You know, it's almost like you have to sort of like show that you really want to do it sort of thing. Otherwise, you... But actually, yeah, it was just so, it was just so poignant and so genuine, if nothing else. It was it yeah. was lovely. No, I really like that as well. I'm glad that that's come up. And of course, yeah, Vader's Jester said that got to me as well. Same with Tua Plotu talking about his grand being his inspiration. Mm. Because, of course, everyone just conveniently forgets that Tua Plotu's got a Scottish grand. Yeah. And I wonder yeah, why they Scottish. I wonder why they jumped to the conclusion that he, sh- he might not have one. Yeah. 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 It's a very Scottish name. <laughs> Anne Harris says, Have you got any more good? Sorry. For anyone's what Anne no, Harris no, no. Anne Harris yeah, says, Good. Is Rihanna at the Super Bowl halftime show? Not seen it, but I'll take your word for it. Yeah, fair enough. Um, we'll head to um, Glastonbury later on in the year <laughs> and see if, see if it holds up. Even more good, says Anne, is the streaming service I used to watch the Six Nations here in Canada doesn't show the halftime entertainment, so I was 100% safe having to watch James Haskell oh, at Twickenham on Sunday. 
Yeah, like we can automatically file him into shit despite having not watched him. <laughs> Indeed. I plus he plays tech music, doesn't he? Which I can't stand anyway. So. Probably. Joe Torin says, "Good is Finley Beelan balling like a cornrow damn Carter." Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Props at first receiver need to happen more. Wales haven't done it since Samson Lee's gone. By the by, he was first receiver pivot for a while for reasons nobody could understand, but it needs to happen more. No, agreed. Especially with props like Beelan with the glorious hair. Yes. Hamish Allen says. Good is George Horn's quick tap and go from his own line out on the 82nd minute. Ridiculous ambition or glorious shithousing. Glorious shithousing. We've covered it here. Absolutely. David Goodger says, Good, I think. England seems to finally have options at scrum half and maybe thinking coherently about the midfield. Yeah, I agree on that one. Alex Thompson says, Good is Kyle Stain. Really stepped up at Glasgow this season and take his opportunity really well with Darcy Graham being injured. Yep. Yep. Dan Shear says, good, not having to work this weekend and being able to watch all three games. That's living That's all right, That's very nice. Dan. Yeah, long may it continue. And they said he also good is Ollie, Ollie Chesson. Yeah, Graham Golvin says, good is Jamie Ritchie. Worked tirelessly, tackled without mercy, a menace at the breakdown, an exemplary leader and radiating bastardry like a leaky nuclear reactor. Everything Scotland need at the moment. Yes. 100%. He's taken so well to the captaincy as well. Yes. He feels like he's a steward for a long time. And Peter Robertson's sticking with Scotland. Peter Robertson says good is the way Blair Kinghorn has filled in at 15. I'd be tempted to start him there. Agreed. Agreed. I think he's playing better than Hogg. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. Uh, And if anything else, like it's nice to just have that other option again before the World Cup. Like in past, they've gone through phases of being so reliant on Hogg. And you know what? Make the most of Kinghorn playing well. Hmm. Absolutely. And he's rapid, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He is. No, he's he's really, really good. Um, big fan of Kinghorn. Anything else you wish to add, Will, before we call this to a close? Forgot to mention again how terrible Reese Webb was, but let's not go into that. <laughs> the, the inexplicable return of the web, yes. Somehow made Wales' ball even slower, which we didn't need. <laughs> yes. Okay, (laughs) that's me done as well. Thank you very much for filling in, Will, at short notice. Thank you very much to all of you who listened. Hello, all of you, and thank you on the live stream. Thank you to all the Patreon subscribers. We will, I'm assuming Josh will be back next week when we'll have a bit of a, um, well, we've got a bit of a a normal weekend to talk about, and we'll be predicting, probably covering, uh, doing some predictions for round three of the Six Nations. Thanks, everybody. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye. Podcast Network.